Welcome back to the Foreign Desk with Lisa Deftari podcast. A nation divided. What else would we have expected from this presidential election other than chaos, confusion, anticipation, and lack of transparency? We are not one nation, but two, both sides believing that their path is the right one, both sides thinking that their candidate will fail us, the other candidate rather, will fail us, both sides thinking the other side embodies intolerance and contempt, both sides believing the next four years will be better with their candidate in office, and now both sides holding on to the notion that their candidate has won the crucial number of votes necessary to claim victory. But the one thing that unites all Americans right now is the frustration, the disappointment, the letdown, wondering where we will go from here. I don't want to wait any longer to bring in our esteemed guest, Dr. Hans von Spakovsky, the nation's foremost expert on election law, election fraud, former member of President Trump's Election Fraud Commission, former member of the Federal Election Commission, and head of the Heritage Foundation's Election Law Reform Initiative, and probably one of the busiest people in the country right now. Welcome to the show, Hans, and thank you so much for taking the time to comb all of this out with us today. Well, sure. Thanks, thanks, Lisa, for having me on. To get started, all I want you to do is just walk us through what happened and where we are right now. Well, all of all of the jurisdictions across the country very quickly uh, were able to count the votes that were cast in person uh, on election day and through the early voting process. But what's happened in a number of states, and as you know, we have uh, some states outstanding; they're still counting, is that. Uh, what they're working on now are the absentee ballots uh, because so many officials across the country and other groups urged people to vote by mail instead of voting in person, which frankly, I think was a mistake. There was a exponential increase in absentee ballots. It went from a very small percentage of the electorate to an overwhelming percentage of the electorate and absentee ballots take a lot longer to handle. It takes longer to process them. Uh, and then count them. And that's why apparently we're getting delays. We've also had unexplained things, frankly, of uh, major jurisdictions shutting down and not counting. I, I've, I've never seen that happen. Uh, I, I was a county election official in two different states, Virginia and uh, Georgia, and we never shut down or stopped counting. We kept going. We had reserve teams in place. Uh, we kept going until we had counted all of the ballots. And I I really haven't gotten a good explanation for why right. uh, they, they're doing that. Yeah. And um, legally speaking, are they allowed to just stop arbitrarily? Well, I don't think there's any law governing this, but it's just bad practice. And it uh, not only does it delay election results, it raises questions in people's eyes about, well, what exactly is going on? That, that and the way some jurisdictions like Philadelphia and Detroit have broken the law by banning poll watchers and observers from watching what they're doing, at least from one side, and that's the, the Republican side. That also, I think, raises a lot of questions in people's minds because they're going, well, what are they trying to hide? Why aren't they letting observers in as they're legally required to do under state law? Right. And then, you know, um, what other types of 
fraud are we, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny to say that we have to list, sit here and list the types of fraud, but I mean, explain to people, you know, I, I didn't want to show any of this because I know there are clips circulating on social media about ballots being burned, ballots being tossed into the garbage, um, you know, uh, people being told allegedly to, to fill in their ballots with permanent marker. I mean, to what extent have you seen this? To what extent is it true? And describe for us some of the scenarios that are, are happening. Well, look, in, in the uh, two or three months leading up to the general election, there, there were cases in, in different parts of the country of individuals being charged with uh, election fraud. Uh, in Texas, for example, they arrested uh, five people uh, in two different cases involving absentee ballot fraud in recent elections. Um, in uh, Philadelphia itself, where we're still waiting for the counting to, to, to be done, uh, just just about a month ago, a, a former Democratic congressman who's now a political consultant was indicted by the U.S. attorney for bribing election officials in Philadelphia to stuff the ballot box in, in polling places with fraudulent ballots. So we've seen that kind of fraud going on. The, the biggest concern that I've got with this election, in addition to the fact that they're not letting observers in, is the fact that we have states like North Carolina and Pennsylvania, which are still outstanding. Um, we had uh, uh, organizations and entities there, other than the state legislature, changing the rules, wow. governing absentee ballots, frankly, in the middle of the election, and also when they don't have the legal authority to do that. As you know, in Pennsylvania, the state Supreme Court just suddenly stepped in and said, we're extending the deadline for the receipt of absentee ballots. Instead of having to be received by the end of election day, they said uh, it would be okay for them to come in up to three days after the election. Not only that, but they then said that uh, even if there's not a postmark on the envelopes indicating that the person voted the ballot by the end of election day, it would have to be counted. I mean, it's, it's, it's changes like that that don't make a lot of sense and make you worry that, uh, absentee ballots may be collected by vote harvesters after election day yeah. so they can make sure that they uh, get counted. Uh, North Carolina did a similar thing. The state board of elections there, which is controlled by Democrats, simply overrode a state statute on absentee ballots and said, again, we're extending the deadline to more than a week after the right. election. And right. And it's those kind of things that uh, like I said, raise a lot of concerns in the minds of those who want a fair and secure election process. Which one of those states or how many of the outstanding states, in your opinion, could have already been called or been called even election night? Well, I think if we had had the original deadlines, for example, in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, I think they could have already called them. Uh, I think Michigan could have been called earlier, except there, too. I think they stopped counting. Uh, the same thing happened in Georgia. Georgia, as you know, uh, uh, they still had not come up with their final result. And I, again, I didn't understand it. Uh, Fulton County, which is the largest county in the state, it's probably about 10% of the vote. It encompasses uh, uh, metropolitan Atlanta. I actually know that county well because uh, 20 years ago, I was on the county election board. And we never, ever quit counting ballots until it was done, even if it took all night. Yet Fulton County at around 10 or 1030 on election eve suddenly said, oh, 
we're not going to count any more ballots and they they put it off i i would mm -hmm. hope I would hope, but we don't know, were poll watchers and poll observers allowed to stay in the building to keep an eye on those ballot boxes? I don't know the answer to that. Right. Well, I'm seeing tweets um, talking about how a lot of those observers were asked to leave or that they paused counting uh, and, and, and wanted to go and, and legally have these um, observers removed from the room. Again, these are just tweets. These are not verified. I'm just telling you what I saw. Right. And we're also seeing social media uh, platforms censor a lot of these videos, a lot of these posts, not wanting them to circulate. So it's no surprise, obviously, Hans, that um, President Trump's legal team has announced that they will be taking legal action. I want you to right. take um, a listen to uh, the president's son, Eric, Eric Trump and Rudy Giuliani talk a bit about that. Yeah, just some of the top campaign we came officials. We to Pennsylvania today with, to meet with our legal teams. Um, it's very clear to us, um, and we've declared victory in Pennsylvania. We're up by 400,000 votes with 86% of the precincts in. 86% we have Republican votes still coming in from Trump country. And the Democrats know that the only way that they could win this election is to cheat in Pennsylvania. And we've seen it from day one. We've seen it from day one. We found ballots in drainage ditches. They're not letting our poll watchers watch the polls. They're not letting them inside. There's video after video of them passing out collateral material in polling sites all over Philadelphia. They're trying to cheat. They're trying to cheat. They have three by five printed big posters in polling locations all over the city saying to vote for Biden and Harris, which is totally illegal. They're passing out flyers. The supervisors of elections, we have them on video, certain ones wearing literally Biden-Harris face masks in polling locations, which is totally illegal. And now they won't let, and we brought one great gentleman here with us today, Jeremy, who's a poll watcher down at the convention center. They won't even let him watch as they count the ballots. They put them behind a fence. 40, 50 yards away where they actually can't see the counting happening. Guys, this is fraud. So we are going to continue the lawsuit here. We're going to bring a second one, and then we're going to bring a federal lawsuit. And we're going to take a very good look at whether we bring this nationally. We certainly are going to bring it here and in Wisconsin. Quite possibly, we'll do a national lawsuit and really expose the corruption of the Democrat Party. But this is beyond anything I've ever seen before. This comes when you think you have so much power and you own the media that you can do anything you want. Emotions are high, but it seems like the uh, list of evidence is also pretty substantial. What's your take on, on the legal recourse that the president has at this point? Well, unfortunately, you know, it's very tough uh, to fight uh, an election outcome because you don't have a lot of time to do it after the election uh, outcome, uh, the results are finally announced. It takes a lot of staff and resources to, to bring up the kind of evidence you need uh, to do that. D despite, uh, look, I don't doubt the claims being made um, uh, uh, in Philadelphia, for example. That's unfortunately a pattern of bad behavior that we've had in Philadelphia for, for years. But it's just tough to get enough evidence together to get an election overturned. So while legally I think they're in the right, I mean, for example, keeping observers out of uh, polling places and out of the counting uh, process is a straight out violation of Pennsylvania law. Uh, from a practical standpoint, they've got a very uphill battle to convince judges to actually do anything about it. So 
it, it's a tough fight ahead of them uh, to be able to, to change the status quo of what's going on. So, um, I mean, that's that's disheartening. I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the same way, uh, particularly as there are individuals, there are people who are w- willing to be witnesses uh, to say that there was foul play. Um, legal recourse aside, what are the chances that a state like Arizona will do a re do you know basically check themselves and come out by the end of the week or next week and say we made a mistake? The chances, unfortunately, are slim, and I, I know that uh, I, I know that the Trump campaign has been talking about getting a recount, for example, in Wisconsin. Uh, let me tell you the problem with recounts. Um, if you look at the history of recounts in elections across the country, you, what you find is that uh, if there's a significant margin of victory, and I'm talking about, you know, ten thousand votes, twenty thousand votes, recounts hardly ever change the outcome of the election. The only kind of elections where you see recounts making a difference is where the difference is really, really small. You know, if it's a thousand votes or 2000 votes, then a recount might actually uh, change the outcome. But you get much larger than that. And uh, it it hardly ever uh, makes any change in the uh, results of the election. Now, you see a lot of people posting, well, you know, um, 138 or so thousand votes were found. 100 percent of them claim to have been Biden votes. Um, And you see, you know, um, people who contest that and say, well, you know, the Democrats were the ones who were pro mail-in ballots. So it makes perfect sense that all the mail-in ballots would be from Democrats. What do you say to that? Well, what I say about that is that even if it is true uh, that more Democrats use mail-in ballots, uh, it's not 100% 100 of absentee ballots are not used by Democrats. Both Republicans and Democrats, and frankly, uh, libertarians and independents, they also use independent, uh, use absentee or mail-in ballots. So while I guess it's possible that 100% of the ballots coming in from one particular precinct uh, don't have a single vote for the other candidate. You know, that's a little that's a little hard to believe, particularly even in urban areas where the Democratic Party is very strong. When you look at the fact that uh, President Trump actually garnered a very large share of uh, record numbers of, for example, the Hispanic vote uh, right. all across the country, they he, he pulled in a lot of African-American votes, uh, much more than prior uh, presidential candidates on the Republican side. So again, it just, yeah, while I guess that's possible, it seems a bit unusual. Yeah. And I know you've been talking about or warning against, um, the dangers of, of using mail-in ballots for a long time now. Um, and you know, what's interesting is in the places where the COVID, um, uh, virus was, you know, the worst in the country. I'm talking about hot spots in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, perhaps Florida a, a bit later, uh, California. Those states were, were fine. Those states meaning fine in the sense that they were able to get results out very quickly. Um, right. And the states that were having issues. So I want you to basically reinstate your, your position. I mean, were mail-in ballots necessary? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, anybody who voted in person in this election saw that they could do so safely because what did election officials do? Uh, they put in all the health safety protocols <clears throat> that have been recommended by health experts, <clears throat> including the CDC. And they had line spacing for the voters. Everyone was wearing masks. 
the precinct I went to used disposable pens. Each voter got a disposable pen to mark their ballot. Uh, so there really wasn't any reason to vote by mail unless you are particularly in one of the groups that's really susceptible uh, and, 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 you, and you, ha you have a danger from the COVID-19. That is not the vast majority of Americans who could vote safely in person uh, without right. resorting right. to an absentee ballot. Yeah. And you know what I, I love about having you on is that you didn't become this election fraud expert for the sake of this election. You've been doing this for many, many years. You have written right. a book on this. You have a database um, basically plotting out all of the scenarios that have occurred and the potential scenarios that can occur. And those uh, that data um, has strongly been criticized, obviously, by those who basically like, I guess, election fraud to happen, um, especially up leading to this election. Um, I know, you know, you put out this data and, you know, for the sake of the nation, and, you know, I say this in almost every podcast I, I do, regardless of the topic, I will still stop and say we live on in the best nation on the planet. Um, we love this country. We want to protect this country. And I wish both sides felt that way, where we can say, you know, if something wrong happened, that affects our democracy, that affects both sides. Right. If you put out data, that affects both sides. That says, well, if there was some fraud, regardless of which party committed that fraud, that could happen again next time to your party. Um, you know, why? I mean, this is, and I've been really digging and trying to get, make more sense of this in the past couple of days. But, you know, I, I looked a lot at your data. And, and, and why do you think there was that that backlash or what there was that criticism to your data even before this election i mean what were they setting up for why were they trying to set the precedence that that someone like you was studied this inside and out and has provided plenty of evidence would be exaggerating about the potential of of voter fraud this time around yeah it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because for example usa today and pbs frontline got together and if you can believe it assigned 14 reporters to go through our election fraud database, which documents uh, proven voter fraud and election fraud cases from across the country. Too bad they don't uh, dedicate those kind of reporters to actually investigating some of the recent cases of election fraud and the people that have been indicted. Exactly about right. Mm -hmm. I think there's two reasons for this. One, by trying to deny that election fraud occurs, they then have an excuse for opposing any and all common sense reforms that are intended to address the vulnerability of the systems. You know, uh, some states have been trying to do things like put in a, a, a voter ID requirement, which just right. seems, like I said, it's just common sense. The vast majority of Americans agree, of course, you should show an ID when you Meanwhile, when you vote. now during COVID, when you go to pick up your groceries, you show ID. Right. <laughs> uh, but by saying there's no uh, election fraud, which is, of course, false, they can say, oh, see, there's no reason to put in an ID requirement. By denying that uh, uh, we have another problem, which is people who are not U.S. citizens easily registering and voting in elections, and there have been plenty of cases to show, unfortunately, they're doing that, they can oppose uh, pro uh, a proposed remedy, which is to say that when you register to vote, you have to provide proof of citizenship. On the other hand, there are some folks who don't want uh, these kind of measures in place because it would make it harder for them to steal elections. And the best example that I can give you is 
the New York Post published an article, I think now about two months ago, where they interviewed a longtime uh, political consultant who were, has worked for uh, numerous Democratic candidates. And he explained how he has easily uh, submitted fraudulent absentee ballots in election after election uh, over the years in New Jersey. And he talked about how easy it is and how he's never gotten caught. Wow. Wow. I mean, and again, you know, you'd want both sides to understand how dangerous this is, just like you'd want both sides to be to believe in diversity. There's a New York Times um, reporter this morning who said that um, it's 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 devastating. I think that's the word that was used. Devastating that so many minorities voted for Donald Trump. I mean, <laughs> they believe in diversity and they believe in tolerance when you know when when really all they want is this myopic view of the country. Um, right. You know, Hans, I, 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 I want to take this forward a bit and ask you, if you don't think that there's any legal recourse, despite the evidence, what can be done? I mean, there's so many people right now that are just so frustrated with what has happened. What can be done? Well, I shouldn't say there's no legal recourse. I just think it may be tough, uh, even following the potential legal remedies for some of these uh, things that have been happening in these states to be reversed. Um, people need to pay attention to the election process uh, all the time, not just when we have an election occurring. Because one of the things that could have stopped a lot of the beha behavior we're seeing and the problems we're seeing is if state legislatures were persuaded by voters to pass things like a voter ID requirement that it, that applies to both in-person voting and absentee ballot. If they had been persuaded to put in a law that requires proof of citizenship when you register to vote, a simple law that says um, when people are called for jury duty and they're excused because they're not U.S. citizens, the courts have to send that information to election officials to check and see. Well, is that person registered to vote? The person who said they're not a U.S. citizen? I mean, that's a simple fix. But Hans, I'm going to push nobody back. nobody wants to do just, it. Just one, I, I'm going to push back, not because I don't believe in your expertise. I do. I, I fully, I think you're the, the most brilliant person on this subject, which is why I want to push back. What confidence do we have in the system to say that we can push our, or influence our legislators to do these things? I mean, it looks well, like, this guy in 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 um, Philadelphia is like a one man show. The attorney general, I mean, there's it, there's it, local it, mayors it, who are who are hard, who are handling this this fraud on their own. Look, I I agree um, that that is very problematic, but uh, that's the that's the most I can tell folks to do, which is to they've got to get involved and lobby um, elected representatives, elected officials to try to push in place the kind of things that we think are appropriate for solving many of these problems. And look, if, if they can't persuade somebody, then they need to do everything they can to make sure that person doesn't get reelected. And yeah, there may be many instances where they're not successful, but there are plenty of other times where they may be able to be successful. So, I mean, yeah, or, or uh, when they call for those donations, you can remind them then, yeah. um, <laughs> right? That seems to be the best way to, to do things these days. Where do we go from here, Hans? Well, obviously, we've got to see what happens with uh, the election. Uh, I, I do have to say that um, 
you know, it looks tentatively as if the Republicans will retain control of the Senate. Uh, it looks like the Democrats will retain control of the House. Uh, one of the reasons that's very important is that uh, two years ago, in 2018, when uh, Democrats took over the House, the very first bill that they pushed, H.R. 1, and this was sponsored by Nancy Pelosi, was a bill that would have led to a federal takeover of the election process and would have put in all these, these bad rules. Uh, like, for example, they would have voided out any voter ID law anywhere in the country. So the states that have put in voter ID laws, that those laws would have been voided. There were all kinds of other things in that bill that would have made it easier to cheat and easier to manipulate election results. So it's really important that um, we keep enough conservatives in Congress to prevent that kind of bill from getting yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, what's, what's interesting is you don't see conservatives trying to pull these kinds of, of or push through these kinds of legislative um, actions to to make voting easier, less, less um, transparent. I mean, if you are a decent, smart, um, you know, a, a patriotic Democrat, and I'm and I'm hopeful there are those out there, aren't you looking at your party and thinking, how is this American? How is this democratic? Why are we trying to cheat to get to where we are? If we're saying that majority rules and we want to win an election, don't you want to do so fairly? Yeah, I would hope that would happen. And particularly because, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the cases in our election fraud database, mm -hmm. uh, in many of the proven cases, it's not always one political party stealing from the other political uh, party, and I should say it, it's bipartisan, you know, we get cases uh, for both Republicans and Democrats, but there are many cases where it's individuals within one political party stealing from people in another political party, particularly during primary elections. Right. And because of what you just said, now apply that to this election. Um, where did this start going wrong? Well, it started going wrong uh, earlier this year when an unprecedented number of lawsuits were filed by the progressive left and uh, the DNC and all their political allies to try to force states to change the rules governing absentee ballot. Mm -hmm. And what they were seeking in all of these different lawsuits was very similar. They didn't want signature comparisons done between the absentee ballots and, and the uh, signatures of voters on file. Uh, they they tried to void out witness signature requirements on absentee ballots. They tried to uh, legalize vote harvesting everywhere. You know, about half the states make vote harvesting illegal, which which is basically allowing any third party stranger to pick up your ballot. And they tried to uh, uh, force states to not be able to enforce their uh, voter ID laws. They were unfortunately successful in. Uh, a number of states, including getting the absentee ballot deadline extended uh, far past the election date. And that's how that's how all of this gets got started. It's been a litigation battle in almost every single state. 
This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable that this is 2020. It's unbelievable that there are, um, you know, that, that there's so many outstanding issues with the ballot itself. I mean, I saw the mail-in ballot um, that was that was sent to, to my house. And, you know, I was surprised that you only had to sign in one place, meaning the, that would be so easy to basically take take you know, or steal ballots or right. vote twice. And in many instances, friends have told me that they received two ballots to their home, dead people voting. I mean, um, you know, going forward, I guess I have to ask because this is kind of something we, we can't go back in time. But I mean, going forward, how much of this are we going to see um, change or, or reform in some capacity? Well, again, it depends on the state. Um, uh, you know, some states like uh, Texas and Alabama, for example, have put in good provisions on a voter ID and, and uh, other security measures like that. But unfortunately, then you, then you have states like California and New York, which have almost no security measures in place to prevent fraud from occurring. And given the political makeup of those states, the chances that any kind of reform measures like that will be put in place, it, there's just no chance that's going to happen. So what's the timeline now um, going forward? We're still waiting on a handful of states. How do you, you want to go through each one and tell us how you think it's going to pan out and when do you think the call is going to be made? Yeah, I'm not really sure I can predict that. Um, I, 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 I believe we'll probably find out in the next uh, couple of days uh, who has, who has uh, what the election outcome is in each state and therefore who's got enough electoral college votes to be president. What I don't know is once we have outcomes in those states, what kind of litigation may contest those outcomes and whether that will delay uh, uh, knowing who is exactly is the president. I, given the pace of counting, um, I actually think we, we, we may know by the weekend who's been declared the winner of the presidency. Like what I don't know is whether there'll be then litigation contesting that um, uh, after we know the, the uh, result. Right, and just to um, put that out there, both sides have said that they do have their legal teams in place to right. um, sue if something should happen. But um, can you walk us through the path from when the announcement is made to perhaps the Supreme Court, if it should get there, how does this happen? I mean, what what path can be taken, um, and and how does how does a, a decision like this get passed on to the Supreme Court? Well, you would start off in a federal district court. Normally, um, there the courts are going to move very quickly. Uh, I, I think within days to make decisions. When normally such you know a regular case can take months, if not years, and then you'll see emergency appeals to the courts of appeal and then emergency appeals to the Supreme Court, depending on who wins or who, or who loses. Because look, all, all of the federal judges across the country, including the Supreme Court, are well aware that we need a determination by the time that the Electoral College meets at the beginning of December. You know, by then, there, there have to be certifications in each state as to who won the election in that state so they can uh, they know which electoral uh, college electors are then supposed to meet at the state capitol to actually cast the votes for president. So, look, even if there is a big fight litigation-wise uh, that delays the outcome of the race, I still think we will. The courts will move so that we know by 
the beginning of December before the Electoral College meets. Right. So meaning the the case will be will be determined before inauguration. So that week would go oh, into. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah I, I mean, um, and how about if we have a tie score? Would that happen? Is there a way to um, work out the combination so that there would be? Well, if there's a, t I'm not sure it's possible to get a tie score, but if there were a tie score, uh, what that would do, I think, is simply throw the a choice on, under the Constitution into the U.S. House of Representatives. You know, the, the, the rule under, under the Constitution is that if, if neither candidate wins enough Electoral College votes to be president, and I think that would, that would include a tie vote, then the, the U.S. House of Representatives makes the decision of who is the president. And what's interesting about that is that each state gets one vote. So what would happen in each state is the congressional representatives would get together and they have their own separate vote. And whoever gets the majority, then that state would uh, cast its one vote for for the uh, person picked by a majority of their representatives. Okay. I mean, there's so many takeaways from this. And I know that, again, you being the expert that you are, um, have been have been working on this for years. And you you saw this, and I know we talked about this about a month or two ago. So you have been basically forecasting that this is the um, awful chaos that would ensue. So I know that you probably had an I told you so moment. <laughs> um, but what were some of the, the takeaways for you after this election? Well, one of the big takeaways is the fact that uh, we have a problem with uh, particularly one party jurisdictions with election officials in those one party jurisdictions in places like Philadelphia and Detroit, basically feeling that they can ignore the law and do whatever they want. And that's a potential problem really we need to fix. Uh, I mean, one of the ways I think to do that would possibly would be to amend state laws to make it a criminal violation for an election official to prevent a duly qualified poll watcher from coming into a poll sure. or, a, or a, uh, uh, where the where the votes are being counted. Because right now, you know, if if these uh, election officials violate that statute, there's really not much of a recourse against them. Right. Right. I know my producer and I were speaking before the show, and I think that the takeaway for both of us was how important um, local elections are on the state yeah. level, on the on the city level, even, um, you know, in determining this, um, you know, I mean, so much so many of the cities where we're seeing or I should say states that we're seeing um, a lot of this um, kind of like you mentioned, Pittsburgh and, and um, you know, also in um in Wisconsin, we saw a lot of this. I mean, these are also the places where we saw a lot of of the protests. Um, you know, this is is this kind of like a referendum on on the presidency? Is this you know what's the connection? Well, I do think uh, you know, I, as uh, all the pollsters were basically wrong, as was the the mainstream media. Uh, right. They they had no idea how uh, strongly the president would do and how much he appealed um, to so many voters. And I, I actually think that the violence, the, the rioting, the arsonists um, uh, in, in these cities across the country, the protests, that actually may have helped the president because as you know, it was one side 
tolerating this and actually encouraging it. Uh, and then you had the president up saying, no, we, we can't allow this to happen. And I think that actually may have may have helped uh, increase the support that the president had and certainly surprised absolutely. a lot of people on the left. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, um, the media had such, as you mentioned that, but the media had such a significant role, um, really overstepping their bounds. And, you know, for I have a personal story about this. The night in 2016, the election night when President Trump was announced um, the, the winner of, of that election, I was at Trump headquarters at the Hilton in New York City. And I remember seeing these reporters no longer be able to do their jobs, meaning instead of being in front of the camera reporting, they were crying in each other's laps, um, <laughs> unable to do their jobs. And I understand, I mean, everyone has, you know, your team doesn't win and you hope for, for the next four years, but this time around it was different. I mean, it hit them so emotionally that were, they were no longer able to maintain that journalism integrity, no longer able to do their work. And for four years, um, this president fought the media alone. Uh, and, you know, on election night, I had two TVs going, one was Fox News and one was CNN. And when you were watching the CNN reporter, when it didn't look too good for, for Joe Biden, I mean, they were giving people such false hope at that moment, um, you know, re redoing the map and basically saying, well, if we remove these red states right here and they kind of push together all the blue states and kind of put together right. a whole new map. I mean, that is so telling. These moments that I'm just describing are so telling of, you know, the environment that the media had such a large and significant role in, in creating, uh, to your point. And, um, you know, I want to kind of finish off with, you know, again, I, I call on you with your expertise. And I know that you work in in uh, at the Heritage Foundation in order to reform, um, reform election law. I mean, that is what you do day in and day out. I mean, after this election, we have so much work to do. But, you know, basically, right. I, I want you to tell us some of the biggest challenges that this country will face, both with regards to voting laws coming together as a nation and and really balancing this out as Americans? Well, my biggest uh, fear is that if liberals control uh, the White House and Congress, um, they are going to void out any and all security measures that states have passed to try to remedy the vulnerabilities in the uh, election process. Um, I also am concerned that uh, that will happen in the states uh, and particularly that a liberal Justice Department, U.S. Justice Department, headed by a very liberal attorney general uh, like what, like the prior one under uh, Barack Obama, uh, will actually sue states making frivolous and meritless claims under, for example, the Voting Rights Act, you know, claiming that, for example, having a voter ID requirement that applies equally to everybody and can be easily met is somehow discriminatory and should be thrown out as a violation of federal law. And I really worry about that because that would be going the absolute wrong direction when it comes to cleaning up our election process. Right. Right. Well, this is wonderful. Thank you so much, Hans von Spakovsky. I'm sorry, I always butcher your last name, but uh, you're a superstar. Um, thank you for your your wonderful analysis of all of this. I think uh, we were all hoping for um, some better news with regards to legal recourse, but we will right. stay hopeful and uh, hopefully rebuild America once again. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Lisa Daftari. To subscribe to my podcast, go to youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari. To subscribe to my daily top 10 email, go to foreigndeskmuse.com. Thank you and see you all next time.